My goal is not to hoard this information for my students, but to make it available broadly, particularly for those individuals who are first generation corporate, who are first in their families to, to kind of trailblaze into corporate spaces. I want to make sure that they have access to information that can help them as they launch their careers also. Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Shop. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board, who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies. With in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs in digital communications, GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead. It prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real-world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce Professor Gail Ayala-Taylor, a distinguished academic and a beacon of inspiration in the world of business and marketing education. Professor Taylor is known for her significant contributions in both teaching and mentorship. The American Marketing Association Foundation recently recognized her as the recipient of the 2023 Williams Qualls Spratlin Multicultural Mentoring Award of Excellence. Professor Taylor has educated numerous undergraduates, MBAs, CEOs, and senior business leaders since joining the faculty at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College. And I'm pleased to say I was, in fact, one of her students. She's also taught around the world, from Chicago and Georgia to Brussels and Singapore, and on two semester at sea voyages. In fact, during her 2018 voyage, the students on the ship honored her dedication and teaching excellence by selecting her to deliver the faculty commencement address. Professor Taylor's primary research is in the areas of undergraduate transition from college to career, non-traditional retail sales promotions, and involuntary switching. Her research has appeared in a variety of academic journals. I won't read them all. In 2022, she was inducted into the PhD Projects Hall of Fame for her impact in advancing diversity in academia and in corporate America. She uh, she received her PhD in marketing from Florida State University, where she was McKnight Fellow. She holds a BA in hospitality management and an MBA in marketing, both from Michigan State University. Last thing I want to say is that beyond the classroom, Professor Taylor's passion lies in empowering women and individuals from underrepresented groups. She is the founder of Rise Career Launch, a program aimed at bridging the gap between college education and the professional world. This initiative has significantly contributed to the development of diverse future business leaders. Professor Taylor has been recognized as a leading mentor and a world-class educator, and today we recognize her as a chief influencer. Welcome, Professor Taylor. Thank you so much, Anthony. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Well, there's so much more we can even say. You have such an incredible career. It's always hard to to know what to focus on. But I'm so um, inspired by 
how you're able to, one, just connect with students and students of all ages and backgrounds. You know, I mean, I think like business leaders are probably some of the hardest ones to, to get to pay attention, I could imagine. And, um, you know, really uh, motivate them and connect with them in a way that makes a huge difference. And I just wanted to start by asking if you could share some lessons that you've learned over your career about how you connect with and influence students, but particularly students that, you know, might um, have a lot going on and maybe get a bit, they might be a bit harder to get to uh, pay attention. <laughs> well, you know, Anthony, I love that question because I think it really gets at, at my love for teaching and why I love teaching. And I think it's really all about community and really helping us to know that we all can learn from each other. That it's not just a one-way street that if, you know, I might be in the front of the classroom, but I'm just kind of the conductor in the classroom of trying to help others connect, share their knowledge and their information. Yes, there may be some foundational elements that I need to make sure that my students understand, but everyone has something that they can contribute. And if I can create a space where people realize that and they're comfortable and they're willing to share what they have with others, we all learn. And I think that's the, for me, that has been something that I think has allowed me to connect with students at, at all different levels. You know, I, that is such a great theme that um, you mentioned and which we've heard from some other chief influencers, that influence isn't just one way, that it's two way. And I wonder how do you adapt that to, you know, go from undergraduates who may be the first in their family to ever go to college to a CEO with thousands of employees? Um, how do you find that ability to connect and influence with such a broad range of students and stakeholders? Yes, you know, I think there are some real, some common themes, but I think there's some differences at different levels. And, and I really try to understand where my students are and, and how I might be able to help them. When I think particularly about the group that you mentioned, maybe first-generation college students, so students who are first in their families to come to college, I really try to help them understand that, yes, they may be first, they're trailblazers, but they absolutely belong. And they absolutely have something to contribute and that their voices are valuable. And so I try to give them an opportunity to show what, they, what they're capable of, to show their knowledge and their talent and make them see, hey, I do belong here. I do. I can contribute. When we think about the other spectrum, which are, are the senior leaders, what I found with them is that I really help them listen. I really help them develop the skills to listen to people who are around them, as opposed to being comfortable using their voices, which I try to help at the, at the junior end. I try to help the senior individuals know that, that there's a lot that they can learn just by sitting back and watching, listening and learning. And so it's really trying to see where they are and understanding that, yes, common uh, across the board, we want to create community, but different groups have different experiences. And we have to kind of really understand those experiences, lean into them, and then really help to develop the skills that are necessary at whatever level someone's at. Yeah, I think, you know, what you said there about belonging is so important. And we have an audience of all types of leaders and communicators who, um, are part of our chief influencer community. 
And I think that's a universal lesson that, if, you know, whether it's your team or whether you're trying to, you know, connect with some other stakeholder groups, if someone feels like they don't belong, they're not going to contribute and, and, and the, you know, a, a way that's going, you know, because they don't feel like they're able to, to do that, that the space has not been welcoming. And I know that, you know, I was going to say they don't rise to the occasion. And maybe that's even one of the ways that, that rise came about. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, that program that you, um, I mean, you know, you founded it. And so I, I think it's a really powerful initiative and love to, to hear more about it. So I'm going to answer that question, Anthony, but I want to do a quick rewind because you said yeah. something yeah. that I want to talk about. Good, and good. you talked about the power of belonging. And I think that is really important, but I think we need to go beyond just belonging. When I talk to my students, particularly those that are in environments that, that may not be familiar or they may be the first in those environments, they, they will often struggle because they feel like maybe I don't belong. I don't see people who look like me. I don't see people who have my, my, my background. I have to try to belong. And I tell them that we're going to go beyond belonging. It's not about you fitting in. It's about you knowing that by being there, you make places better. You bring a different perspective. You bring different conversations. You bring different insights. So I don't want you to force your, feel like you have to force yourself to fit into something that is existing. I want you to know that by, by being there, you make things better and you make it better than just belonging. You don't just have to fit into something that's already there. You, we want to create something new, something better by having you there. So I, I love this idea of belonging, but I really want to push people to think beyond just belonging to thinking about what do we what do we learn? What do we do? How do we make environments better when we look beyond just fitting in, but knowing that our presence in these environments can make things better? So I answered that question. Now I'll answer your second question. Love that. I love that. So you asked me about Rise Career Launch. And how did I decide to, to launch this program? And I think I have to chuckle sometimes because, as you mentioned, I've been teaching entrepreneurs for, for I think, well over 17 years. I love, love, love teaching entrepreneurs and business owners. I never, ever in my wildest dreams planned to be an entrepreneur or to launch a social impact venture. It was not part of my plan. I've seen the struggles. But sometimes when you are called to do something and you have information, you have the ability to solve a problem in a unique way, you kind of just have to do it. And it rise came about just from me trying to help my students. I had a group of, of women that were graduating. They had secured wonderful jobs in corporate America, very big companies, lots of, of Fortune 500 companies. And they wanted to know, what do I need to do to get off to the best start possible? And so... Uh, it was funny because many of them were going into banks and, and I teach marketing. I'm, I'm a marketing professor. I'm not the finance professor. But if a student ever approached me and wanted help, I was going to figure out how to help them. And so I pulled together two incredible resources, one very senior Tuck alum who had started uh, her own financial services company doing incredibly well. Another one who was at a top name, big name financial services company. And the three of us got together. And, and this was pre-Zoom days. We had the old conference call in the middle of the desk. And we had a call with, with these women and we gave them information about what they needed to do to get off to the best start possible. That turned into a retreat. 
I had uh, invited the women to come to Boston. Uh, we rented out a full bed and breakfast. I did this for my students. And in that weekend, I really worked to try to give them the tools, tips, and strategies that they needed to help them navigate the corporate space. In class, we often teach our subject matter, but we don't often help our students know how to translate that subject matter into performance, into the work world. And so in that weekend, we really try to help them get off to the best start possible and know that the first day wasn't when they walked in the door, but it started when they were preparing and, and getting ready to take those jobs. And, and so that's kind of how it started. Um, it just kind of snowballed from there with, with um, finding out that it wasn't just a problem for this handful or select group of students. Um, it was an a, a insecurity that, that people had when transitioning from college and, and how to take the skills they learned in the academic environment and translate that into an experiential learning environment or careers. And so it kind of, that's how it all got started. Oh, that's amazing. In a second, I want to talk about what the corporate folks can learn from what you're doing in this program. But even before we get there, what are some of the major lessons or common themes that you see for those who participate in the program? So what I found um, is I think part of the biggest struggle in my research, in, in my years of studying on a qualitative basis, my students, is that when they come to my class, when they're on campus, they have a syllabus. And that syllabus has incredible structure. It tells them exactly what they have to read, when they have to read it. It tells them this is the date of the exam. And if you got if you get 80% correct on the exam, you're going to get this grade. If you get 90% on the exam, you're going to get this grade. If the, the college campus has the structure that really helps students know exactly what to expect when they come in the classroom. And, and, and it also tells them how they're going to be evaluated and how they're going to be rewarded or recognized. The same structure is not necessarily in place so crystal clear when someone goes to work in a corporate environment. And I think that that the ability to to have to try to create this structure can be a challenge. And so I I developed a tool to help give them that structure around Rise. So the name of the the social impact venture is Rise Career Launch, but Rise was used very intentionally. And that I it's around four elements. The R is around relationships. So I teach the importance of building effective, positive, personal and professional relationships. That it's that you can't just kind of go in your cubby, put your head down and do your work. And at, at college, if you have the syllabus and you put your head down, you do the work, you're going to be rewarded by the amount of time, effort that you put into that. At work, you need to get out of your space. It's not just doing the work. You have to meet people. You have to engage with your peers. You have to meet, uh, engage with your supervisors, engage with everybody in all levels of the organization. And it's not just about doing the work. There's another layer. And so I captured that with the R around building relationships. Also, I think an area where people struggle when they leave college and, and go to work is this idea around questions and asking and getting information. I captured this in the eye, the inquiry piece. You don't know what you don't know. And when you're starting out, there's a lot to learn. And so I really try to help 
the individuals through the RISE framework know how to get information. If the question that you have, Google can answer, that's not a good question to ask your boss. Yeah. But if it's something you've been spending hours and hours, that you need to find that balance between being effective and efficient with your time, that it, it makes sense to, to ask someone, you know, ask a peer, ask someone that may be a, a step up. But if you can't, are having trouble finding the answer, it makes more sense to go to your boss, let them know what you've done to try to source the information yourself, and then ask if they can either point you in the right direction or help you fill this information void. The S, I think, is around skills. I think individuals, they struggle with trying to know what skills are important and how to develop the skills. And I say you need to have functional skills, interpersonal skills, and technical skills. And all of these skills are important. And you need to make sure that you individually can recognize where your strengths are and other where your opportunities are, areas are and be able to effectively communicate to your boss how you might be able to find support in these areas where you might need them. The last area I think is really important and, I, and I've used this to capture what I think um, is a, a particularly important element for, for young new hires. And that is around understanding what's expected of them. I think as I did the research to come up with this framework, I talked to just several people out in the business world and I asked them, what's the difference between a really good new hire and someone that, that you just want to put on the fast track and you want to make sure this person never leaves your company? And they said the really good new hires are those individuals who go above and beyond. They, they do what's asked for them, but they do a little bit more. And so I really thinking about that, I said, it's important that people who are starting out understand expectations. They understand what's expected of them because if you try to exceed them without meeting the base expectations, it's going to be a problem. And so I really work with my students to get them to try to be able to understand and have clarity around those expectations so that they can then perform to them, do them well consistently, and then work to go above and beyond them. Mm. I absolutely love that framework. And my as soon as I hear it, I think, well, it's it's fueling this program for the folks you can work with. But are corporate leaders taking these lessons and bringing them back? Or how can corporate leaders who are hearing this for the first time bring that back? Because to me, it seems like that's a really good framework to influence um, the success and the potential of, you know, the tremendous people that you can, you know, recruit and and retain and and have support, you know, your your corporate mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Anthony. And I'm working with companies to try to help them implement the framework from their side. At the end of the day, it's about effective communication. It's about building conversations between employees and managers, between organizations and, and employees to help them understand, you know, what they need to be doing and how they need to be doing, how they can best bring themselves into the corporate world. And so I think it's really important that managers understand that, that through research, we found that these are the four areas that entry-level people struggle and that they can then promote on their end these kinds of conversations. They can say, you know, if I know that 
that individuals who are junior may have trouble figuring out how to get access to information, how to ask good questions. I need to model for them what it looks like. I need to help them know how to come to me as a manager with a question. And I need to be able to respond in a way that doesn't shut them down, that helps them to know that that really, in all honesty, there's no such thing as a bad question. It may be how you go about getting the answer can be improved upon, but but I think it's important for managers to understand that these are the elements that in the, that new employees can use support on and to, to kind of facilitate conversations. The tool that I created is a notebook. Uh, and I have to chuckle, Anthony, because as a an old school professor, I really am fond of the pen and paper technique. And so I've created a notebook where my fellows and, and individuals that I work with can actually gather data on a daily basis around these four elements. Now, my students who I am constantly learning from, my students and my mentees are working to take my paper tool and convert that into a digital tool. They said, mm. you know, Professor Taylor, you like pen and paper, but we we like our, our devices. So I, I, I'm, I'm coming up with a, a compromise. But I think what this tool can do is if a manager knows that in a junior employee is using this method, they're using this tool, they're gathering information on a day-to-day basis, they're reflecting weekly, they're, they're, they're reflecting monthly on what they've accomplished and what they need to work on in the future, it's a tool where they together can sit down and have conversations. I think it's yeah. important not to wait for the performance review. I try to hope that my fellows, my mentees, the people that I work with, that when they walk in the performance review, they know already what that conversation is going to be like because they've been having regular conversations with their boss. So there's no surprises. I think that that the tool allows the entry-level person to gather their own data and to get their own feedback and then to be able to ask their boss or connect to their boss in a directed way versus it's just a whole lot of questions that aren't, you know, where the manager can get bombarded, can feel overwhelmed and can feel like the person might not be taking initiative on their own, but the tool kind of is a buffer to allow that person, that entry-level individual to gather data and then to have a directed conversation with their boss. I have a story about one of my early students to use the tool. She was one of the first students to come to uh, this RISE retreat that I host. And I gave them all the notebooks and she was filling out the notebook and had it on her desk. And she said her boss walked by and said, hey, what's that? And she says, oh, my professor gave me this tool to help me in my transition from college into my first job. And the manager says, oh, this is really cool. And so they ended up having biweekly meetings with her notebook as the basis to kind of guide the conversation. I'm proud to say that she was in a cohort, I think, of maybe 40 students in her her incoming class. She was the first one to be promoted. She was the first one to receive an opportunity to go on a, uh, a global international assignment. She did really well progressing in her company, going back to grad school, and now is just flourishing in her career. And she will say that having that tool that facilitated the conversation with her boss and helped her to, to know where she needed assistance, helped her to know how to ask for assistance, she said it was just paramount. I love that anecdote and in particular because 
it really reinforces um, something that you shared at the beginning about your teaching style. You said you see it as two-way, not just you broadcasting information, but two-way. And what you've done, not everybody can be lucky enough to be in a classroom with you, right? But what you've done is you've built a tool that expands that philosophy and creates those two-way engagement opportunities between in this case, the person who's making the career transition and the manager. So you've built a tool to support your methodology. That's <laughs> how I see it. Absolutely. And that was that was the goal, Anthony, is that, you know, I'm lucky enough to get to teach maybe a handful of students, but the tool that I've created can take my my teaching philosophy and give it to others. That bake that can be used more broadly than than people who are, you know I, I have been lucky to teach students from a hundred different campuses given wow. the programs that I teach in so I have touched a lot of students but there's so many more that can benefit and I think this tool is one that can help students as they transition to their career and managers as they welcome junior talent in. Is there usually I wait to ask a question like this at the very end but is there a um, any publicly available resource for folks who might be curious about this or they want to learn more that they could go and find out? So they can definitely go to to our the website, Rise Career Launch, and we will absolutely work with trying to either help share our notebooks. I've got cases of the notebooks. They work. Um, the, we're hoping that the digital tool comes out in 2024. So we're, we're working right. really hard to share the knowledge that we've created and make it available more broadly. I do work with companies um, in smaller engagements to do workshops for their entry-level employees, for their managers to share what we've learned over the years through RISE, as well as through my research. So we really, you know, my goal is not to hoard this information for my students, but to make it available broadly, particularly for those individuals who are first-generation corporate, who are first in their families to, to kind of trailblaze into corporate spaces. I want to make sure that they have access to information that can help them as they launch their careers also. Well, and Professor Taylor, it just strikes me that this I know you've been working on it for a long time, but is more critical than ever right now um, because just the fast, the changing business environment and hybrid and remote and all of these things going on, creating tools to facilitate this type of transition for any entry level worker, you know, it is, um, it is something that's really valuable. So I'm so excited to hear that more and more folks are finding out about it and taking advantage of it. Yeah, and then and to your question, um, Anthony, is I realize that I'm really good at what I do. Re, you know, really thinking about my students. I've been a professor for 28 years. I have studied students in their transition from college to career, but I learned that just working on the inputs it wasn't enough. That I had to help corporate America. I had to work on the business side to help corporate America better understand the challenges that that their incoming employees are facing and some of the barriers that are in place that they just, corporate America doesn't, they don't intend to put barriers in front of their new talent. They don't, you know, but they're there, particularly for people who are entering these spaces for the first time. And so I'm, I'm working on a book project to really speak directly to corporate America to give them some more tools and strategies and tips to help them be able to bring on their new talent 
particularly those that are first-gen corporate. It could, you know, could be first-gen college students. It could be kids whose parents have degrees but are working in other professional capacities outside of corporate. So there's a, a growing pool of individuals that are first-gen corporate that are entering the space. And I want to make sure that corporate America has the tools to ease yeah. that transition for them, make them feel welcome so that they can then build strong, long-lasting careers as well. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't, I can't wait to read it when it comes out. I know you're still <laughs> in progress on it, but making it, but making good strides. I wanted to switch gears for a second um, because, you know, you're a marketing professor, as you said, I mean, marketing is, is part of your expertise. And, uh, you know, I had the the, the benefit of, of being one of your students through the program at Talk, which is just an incredible program for folks who are leading businesses. Um, I thought that one of the ways that you described what marketing is was just like, like, cause you know, there's a lot of ways that what's marketing, you know, there's a lot of ways to answer that question, but you had a really simple way that you described it that clicked with me. And I thought, ah, this is, this is the way people should think about it. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your marketing philosophy, and then maybe we can also tell folks about the program because I want to make sure folks know about this wonderful program at Tuck. But, um, when folks say, well, what's marketing? You know, how do you describe it? So I, I think, Anthony, to me, at the end of the day, marketing is about making and keeping promises. You know, it's it, if it, it all boils down to that. And I think if we really think about it, particularly because I do a, a lot of work with business owners, I really want to make sure that they understand who their customers are. They understand what problem their customers have or what um, opportunity they're providing their com- their customers, how they can solve their problems, you know, how companies can solve problems for, for customers. You know, why should they come to you for a solution versus someone else? And then what are you communicating? What are you telling them that you're going to do? You know, at the, you know, a lot of times marketing is a lot of fancy words that, that, that people are, they're saying you know, words that aren't necessarily what they're doing. And so they're making they're they're making these promises that they're never going to be able to 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 fulfill. And so I try to get the businesses that I work with to really understand what you put out in an ad, what your employees say, all of these things contribute to a promise that you're making to your customers. And at the end of the day, if you don't match, if you don't fulfill those promises, your customers aren't going to be happy. They're not going to be satisfied. They're not going to come back. And we don't want our marketing to be kind of one-offs where we get one new customer and then they leave and we never see them again. We want to build relationships with our customers. We, we don't want them to be transactional. And so if you really, at the end of the day, just boil it down to, I have to make sure that what I am promising through my communication, I'm able to match and fulfill through my actions or the actions of my company and my organization Companies that do that really well are the companies that are going to be successful. Yeah, I just think making and keeping promises, it is such a simple way. And what I like about it is I know a lot of people in business, frankly, some of the people who I think are the best marketers who say, well, I'm not a marketing person. I don't know anything about because they're not an expert in advertising or they're not a graphic designer. You know, they may, and so they think, they're not a marketing person. But then when you look at what they've done and you know, often they're successful people, 
it, it comes down to what you've said. They've figured out effective ways to make promises and then to keep those promises. And so, I don't know, for me, that just immediately um, connected with me. And I thought, oh, that's what everybody should understand marketing to be. Well, I'll tell you, Anthony, as your former professor, I am sitting here super happy and pleased that you that you remember it, some important lessons from class that that you've absorbed them that you and and uh, and that they're meaningful. So I, I that did give me a special chuckle to know that you remembered some content yeah. from class and that it is now uh, part of how you're thinking about marketing and how you're evaluating who you think of as a good marketer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Thank you. And I love how one of the styles that you had was to to bring in real life examples and to do that in a kind of two-way fashion. Um, I wonder if you wouldn't even like to maybe tell us just a little bit about uh, one of those examples. You know, maybe Farmer Dan is one that you can speak to because yeah. we all had so much fun with how mm-hmm. you structured that. Yes, I, I, um, I love to teach by example. So I love to use real world examples to help my students understand uh, the lessons that I want them to learn. And um, I don't like to pick on any, like any of my existing students because I don't never, I don't want to put anyone on the spot and I don't want someone else in the class who wasn't selected as the example to feel like, oh, I'm not doing, my business isn't good. So I try to stay away from, though I do study all of the businesses that are gonna be in the class. I try to use outside examples for firms that are either small to medium size, if this is a, uh, you know, a one of our, our um, building program that are a growing program, I try to use examples for firms that, that kind of match. And you mentioned my dear friend, Farmer Dan. Uh, Dan is the, the owner of Hearthstone Farm in Maine. And I knew I have yet to have a organic beef farm company in the classroom. So I know that but that using the example of Farmer Dan, it's an industry that my students, I haven't yet have one that are, that are basically in the same industry as, as, as Dan, meaning they're, they're beef farmers or they're, they're trying to supply natural, healthy meats to their, to their consumers. And so I created a, a, an example of using Dan. And it's funny because I learned about Dan as a customer of Dan in terms of just quality, very high quality products, incredible customer service, and the ability to stand behind your products 100%. And these were the lessons that I wanted to convey to the class. And I use this to kind of, I use Dan as an example to talk about his growth and how, of course, during the pandemic, when people were a little bit hesitant to go into stores, they were reaching out to to providers that could ship and deliver. And that's how, how Dan uh, delivers his products. But the interesting thing is that once things were, were open and we were able to go back to pre-pandemic ways of, of shopping, Dan's business continued to grow. It continued to thrive. And I used him as an example to the class to say, you know, he had at the focus, the highest quality product, as I mentioned, really strong relationships with his customer. And Dan himself, he will tell you that he will lose sleep if his customers aren't happy, that he as the business owner really has developed a connection to his customers in ways that in, that really stands out in, in, in today's marketplace. And I, and I think it's something, you know, it does take work, 
but I think it really can make a difference in building in I, my specialty within marketing is marketing of service. And I think every business is, an, is a service business, whether they're selling a not an intangible, which is really obviously a service, or if they're selling a product that, that and they provide a certain level of service and engagement to their customers to give them confidence in that and in, 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 in those products, I think it all makes a difference. Yeah. And as a, you know, there was a lot to learn from that example, but also from your teaching style, because, you know, you introduced us to this concept of marketing. And this was a group of business leaders, some were experts in marketing, some weren't. And then um, brought this case of Farmer Dan and where his business was and asked the group to identify potential opportunities for him to move forward with his business goals. And what's always really cool about that, I think, is sometimes, kind of like I said before, people who don't think of themselves as marketing people come up with some of the best marketing ideas to grow the business because they're thinking about making and keeping promises and taking advantage of opportunities, not thinking through the lens of, well, what does the world tell me marketing must be? And then when we were ready to review those ideas, we had a surprise who shows up on the screen, Farmer Dan, to tell us <laughs> in real time, like live on Zoom from his farm and Hearthstone, what he actually did. And then mm -hmm. to discuss some of those things. And mm -hmm. so I thought, you know, not only was it a good example, it was relevant to the audience, but it goes back to what you said about that two-way dialogue. And, you know, I think that's important because, you know, somebody who's not a, a professor, somebody who's a business leader who's trying to bring a team along, they could use the exact same style. So many times people just put together a PowerPoint and go one way to their group, but they can find ways to engage the audience and the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the group, the way you do, you know, they could set up a case and, and then have a surprise visitor to talk it through to make it two way. So mm -hmm. I think um, you had a bigger impact than you may even know, because not only through the content, but through your teaching style, I think it inspired business folks to think, well, how am I delivering information and how do I make things two way versus one way. And so that that's that's pretty um, powerful. And I know that I'm not the only one who's grateful for that. Well, Anthony, that's a huge, huge compliment. And I will say thank you. I'm I'm thrilled that beyond just the content, that there are other things that my students could take away from the class. So so thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate it. Part of the Thanks reason well. why I want to use cases like Farmer Dan is because I want to push my students to think that you don't just have to look within your industry for ideas and examples, but you can also often borrow from other industries. You you might not, I know, you know, you're not in the the the, the beef business, you're not in that that the the providing food for, for customers, but there are things that we can learn by studying Farmer Dan, by studying other businesses that we can then bring into ours that makes us gives us a great opportunity to be, be innovative. Well, and that's a really, that's a great point. And it's, it's it's kind of a good segue to a question for you. One of our sort of pillars of Chief Influencer and why we do this is we know that leaders can learn so much from people who are outside of their normal industry. You know, a diplomat can learn from a professor and um, a politician can, can learn from an orchestra conductor. And so I wonder, are there any places outside of the traditional world of academia um, or even corporate, perhaps, 
where you have gotten inspiration that has influenced how you teach or how you mentor? You know, absolutely, Anthony. And I want to say um, it probably comes from my, you know, how I came to to mark having a specialty in service. And, um, you know, I came, my undergrad was in hospitality management, as you mentioned, at Michigan State. So I've always had service baked into my DNA. But I, I get inspiration from really good companies that provide excellent customer service. I think of companies like USAA and and the the way that they are consistently able to deliver excellent service year over year over year and i think about that service that they deliver to their customers and i think about my students in the same way how can i connect with my students in these in the ways that some of the the top companies that are delivering customer service are able to there, there are customer service is really tough, particularly this in this day and age. And so I study them and I study things like learning about the the first encounter and the and the last encounter being particularly important and making sure that you're that because like USAA, they make sure that their customers feel that they are truly cared about, not not as a sales gimmick, but they equip their salespeople, the people who are on the front line with the tools to be able to gauge and make the, make it more of a relationship than a transaction. And personally, I have borrowed from these companies that I know have been incredibly successful and tried to do the same thing in my classroom. And I tell you, it's been incredibly rewarding for me because it, it does, it takes it from, from, um, you know, like I said at the beginning, just me at the front talking to it's more of a circle where we all are sharing and communicating and building this this environment where we are all having exchange. Marketing is about making and keeping promises, but it's also about building and creating value and having effective exchanges. And so I study some of the companies that are doing it in the world that are doing it at the highest level. And I bring some of those strategies into my classroom. And then I try to emulate them through my teaching. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I think this conversation just had some fantastic themes, but overarching this idea that influence is not just one way, it's two way. And you gave some some great examples of how to do that um, through teaching, through marketing. I mean, making and keeping promises right there is obviously about a two way. And then um, you've developed a tool with Rise um, about relationships and inquiry skills and uh, expectations so that folks who are transitioning into the corporate world for the first time can be successful. And that tool fosters two-way communication with their managers so that the managers can make sure they're making and keeping the promises with the new team members and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So um, I think folks are probably very clear why you have been selected as a chief influencer. And I just want to say thank you for making time to share with us today, Professor Taylor. Well, Anthony, it truly, truly was my pleasure. I just, any chance I get to spend time with you is 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 a plus. And I really love sharing what we're doing in the classroom through Rise, through the book, because I think at the end of the day, we just want to make 
We want to make access to information. We want everyone to be able to have the information that they need to be able to go with confidence into new spaces. So I really thank you for inviting me and for allowing me to share my story and my students with you as well. Absolutely. And and um, for folks who maybe want to learn more, um, where should they uh, go? You mentioned the RISE uh, website. Maybe you can remind mm-hmm. us it's RISE Career Launch. Exactly. WW, yep, exactly. And um, and you mentioned I'd love, Anthony, for you to share a little bit about the programs that we're doing at Tuck, because I think that that's also a great opportunity for businesses to to um, to be able to come and build community and to get content at the same time. So I'm going to throw that one back at oh, you. Yeah, well, the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth has wonderful executive education programs and a couple of the the ones that um we were talking about is uh, building a successful, diverse owned business and growing a successful, diverse owned business. And we've had team members participate in both of them. And I participated in the growing program. And um, it's a really tremendous opportunity. And, and um, you know, you have wonderful professors like you and, and the cohort you're going to spend time with and, and some great corporations that sponsor um scholarships like Wells Fargo and TIAA and Bank of America. So um, for folks who can do it, I tell you, go look at Tuck. And, I, and I'm and i confident from the, my experience with those programs that all of the executive education programs are, are high quality. Um, I, I, I have no doubt because of how this one was run. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. And I appreciate you sharing your experience and uh, in the classroom and with our programs and and you know, we, we just find it really important to help businesses in any way we can uh, and to help our students in any way that we can as as they go out and build their careers, either at the MBA level or through some of our undergraduate programs as well. So it's, it's, it is an op- honor and an opportunity to be able to teach and to be able to build relationships. And I'm so glad that you and I have built this relationship. And I'm really, really just so impressed with what you're doing and the Chief Influencer Podcast as well. Thank you so much, Professor Taylor. We really appreciated having you on and we can't wait to uh, hear more about the book when it comes out. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. If you know a leader who should be featured as a chief influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time.